This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwanns.com backslash yum for details. And you're on right now with Jim Dawes, your daily journal of news, politics, and culture from an American nationalist perspective. You can listen to this show on demand anytime on Spreaker, iTunes, TuneIn, Spotify, and just about everywhere else you listen to your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at RightNowJimDawes or email me at RightNowJimDawes at gmail.com. Want to call into the show? Leave a voicemail to use on a future broadcast? Call in at 772-245-0750. That's 772-245-0750. If you've got something interesting to say, just leave your message there and we'll use it on a future broadcast. Of course, you can listen to this show live each weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern Time on the Mojo 5.0 radio network. Well, it's pretty clear now that the 2020 presidential campaign has begun in earnest. Uh, the, the left-wing cable networks at CNN and MSNBC have actually been providing free uh, campaign commercials, long-form, hour-long campaign commercials for uh, many of the Democrat candidates. And um, they ought to have to, you know, declare these and offer equal time, but uh, they're formatting these as town halls, and there's, you know, they're uh, hosting them with uncritical uh, hosts that uh, just swallow all of the left-wing cult Marxist talking points whole, uh, without any, you know, real pushback, could you imagine if they had the president of the United States on there? It would be uh, they'd try to slaughter him. But uh, to President Trump's great credit, he has taken the opportunity of the conclusion of the uh, Mueller witch hunt to uh, to go on the campaign trail himself. He had that outstanding rally in Grand Rapids, Michigan, where he was really in top form and. Uh, if you thought Trump was uh, forced during the 2016 presidential can- uh, campaign, you really ought to watch uh, what he's what he's doing now. He was really he's got a lot of uh, accomplishments to brag about. He's got a lot of campaign promises that he's kept, and he's got some that he has not been able to keep, uh, most particularly on the border, because of the intransigence of the Democrat Party, and he is going to use that as a cudgel in 2020 to beat them over the head with. So um, on today's show, well, first I need to tell you that later on we're going to have Victor Davis Hanson in our uh, in the second half hour of this show. And you do not want to miss that interview. Victor Davis Hanson is probably the most articulate and insightful uh, voice on the scene right now. Uh, defending Trump, his presidency, and the the uh, deplorables that, that elected him and continue to support him. So um, you definitely want to stay tuned for that. 
In the first half hour, we're going we're gonna to go through a recent speech that Trump gave to the National Republican Campaign Committee uh, because, it, one, it wasn't covered very extensively in the left-wing media, and which that is to say 94% of the media, and the coverage it did get over there on Fox was sort of cursory. And, and really, this, uh, this speech that he gave deserved far more attention, and I intend to give it here. Because it was a tour de force of uh, of Trump in uh, in great form and hitting on all the campaign themes that the Republicans need to concentrate on in uh, in uh, 2019 and 2020, uh, as the Democrats are you know doing their debates where they're going to have so far I think uh, we're up to 17 declared candidates for the Democrat nomination at this point. They're actually going to do two nights in a row of debates because none of the candidates really except for Joe Biden and and uh Bernie Sanders have enough um polling numbers to justify putting them on stage and that is largely a, a function of there's so many of them that they're just dividing up the pie so small but they're the Democrats are planning on just having two successive nights uh of campaigns so I guess at this point they would have uh they would have eight and seven on the stage, uh, and they're going to, you know, they're going to get a lot of attention. Now, the the ideas that they're going to be get, getting the attention with are going to be absolutely ridiculous if they haven't toned it down by then. And uh, with the complicity of their their uh, left wing media mouthpieces, uh, been able to disguise themselves as uh, somehow in the mainstream. But I'm going to play you extended clips from this speech that Trump gave at the National Republican Campaign Committee. It's going to take up this whole uh, first segment, and if we don't finish, we'll get uh, we'll get back to it after we lead the second half hour with Victor Davis Hanson. And uh, just to show you how comfortable and uh, talented, really, Trump has become on the on the stump. I'm going to start uh, with just a little bit of his warm-up before he actually gets to the major issues. This is Trump commenting uh, at the very beginning of his speech uh, to the to the NRCC on um, on what I would te- uh, uh, deem the voter fraud that the Democrats engaged in uh, with these uh, these late votes and vote harvesting and these other schemes that they've put forward in these Democrat-controlled states. It's one of the reasons they're so determined to uh, do away with the the um, um, oh, shoot, I'll think of it in a second. The the uh, camp, uh, the the Electoral College, pardon me, uh, they're so determined to do away with the Electoral College because they uh, they have basically captured the electoral systems in California and New York, and they it, it's suffering from massive voter fraud, and they want those votes to count, um, you know, toward an electoral, uh, t- uh, toward a popular vote victory by doing away with the electoral college. So here's Trump starting off his speech talking about uh, the curious uh, way that all of the close elections fell to Democrats, every single one of them in the last election. You're going to watch those vote tallies. You know, I keep hearing about uh, the election, uh, the, the various uh, county measures that they have. 
There were a lot of close elections that were, they seemed that every single one of them went Democrat. It was close. They say the Democrat, there's something going on, Trump. You gotta, hey, you gotta be a little bit more paranoid than you are, okay? Like all these beautiful people, these beautiful Republican congressmen and women. But we have to be a little bit careful because I don't like the way the votes are being tallied. I don't like it, and you don't like it either. You just don't want to say it because you're afraid of the press. You're afraid of the press. So we have to be well, you use that word paranoia back there, uh, and the old saying is that just because you're paranoid doesn't really mean people are out to get you. And the truth of the matter is uh, the vote harvesting uh, that went on in California is a national scandal. Just because the media doesn't cover it doesn't make it less so. You know, you got Stacey Abrams down there in Georgia running around saying that uh, the uh, the election was stolen from her with absolutely zero proof. And this is one of the Democrats' tactics. They... They, uh, they claim voter suppression and voter fraud on the pa- part of the Republicans in order to deflect attention from the actual voter fraud and illegal alien voting that they have got going on in their, uh, the states that they control. But uh, Trump, as, as a warm-up, you know, trying uh, before he actually got to the topics that are going to be uh, front and center in 2020, uh, called out Steve Scalise, and I, I just want to play this for you to show, you know, what a good-natured and uh, indecent fellow uh, Trump really is. I especially want to thank the rest of this terrific House Republican leadership team, including Republican Whip, the bravest man in this room, a man who played second base in a game where a shot was hit to him. He had zero range. You know, the Yankees had a guy, Bobby Richardson, they say the widest range of him. He couldn't get a ball anywhere. Go back to shortstop. He was a second baseman. He had the greatest range of anybody. Steve Scalise had the least range of anybody in the history of And I watched that game and I said, oh my God, a shot was hit to second. It was hit hard. A really hard ground ball. And he got down, he blocked that sucker, he then picked it up and he threw it to the first. I said, is this a movie we're watching? The first pitch. And Steve Phillips, and look at him, Steve Phillips has courage. I was with him that night at his incredible family, his wife, and he wasn't looking so good. And in a short while, and the doctor said he wasn't looking so good, it wasn't... Such a great prognosis, and I'll tell you what, he fights better than anybody, and he's a new friend, and he's a friend. Steve Scullies, where is Phil? Where is Phil? Thank you, man. Thank you. Could you imagine if a Trump supporter, a MAGA hat-wearing lunatic, had shown up at the Democrats' congressional baseball practice and shot five people with the intention of committing mass murder and actually wounded a congressman, we'd still be hearing about it all the time. There, there would be no end to it. But the Republicans acted in magnanimity. Uh, they, they said that Bernie Sanders, who, you know, James T. Hodgkinson was a, uh, a, a fervent Bernie bro, they said they left Bernie off the hook. He wasn't responsible for whipping up um, James Hodgkinson with his, his talk about... Uh, if you elect Republicans, uh, they're going to kill people and 
and all of this over-the-top rhetoric. They they uh, said, you know, it wasn't Bernie's fault. Of course, they weren't uh, they weren't repaid with that in kind when uh, that uh, uh, that lunatic Trump supporter mailed the fake fake pipe bombs. They continue to say that he mailed pipe bombs. There there were none of these bombs that were actually um, explosive. They were dummy bombs, but uh, you know they were they were not the Republicans were not given the benefit of the doubt the way the Republicans extended that to Bernie uh, Sanders when one of their um, one of his supporters actually showed up and shot people, but I digress. So here's the point in uh, Trump's speech where he he gets to the issues uh, that are going to win uh, him the presidency, and if the Republicans have any sense at all, they'll get on board with these uh, these broad themes and retake the House as well. But as Trump said in that top clip, they're going to have to get more vigilant about defending the sanctity of the ballot. We can't have Republican votes canceled out by these Ill- illegal, uh, unconstitutional um, voters and vote schemes that the Democrats are engaged in. We're going to have to be more vigilant. But uh, Trump starts out on uh, his his uh, biggest accomplishment, and that is the economy. So our bold agenda we enacted with House Republicans. America now has the hottest economy anywhere in the world. We're the hottest in the world. Wherever I meet a president, a prime minister, anybody, they say congratulations on your economy. And since our election, we've created more than 5.3 million new jobs, including half a million jobs, and that number's going up to about 618,000 jobs very soon. These are manufacturing jobs that President Obama said will never happen. You need a magic wand. It's not going to happen. Well, it's happening. We have the magic wand. And more than 5 million Americans have been lifted off of food stamps because we have jobs now. Think of that. The numbers are staggering. 5 million off of food stamps. And after years of stagnation, wages are rising fast, and the lowest paid workers are making the biggest gains. This is something that you got to The lowest paid people are actually doing the best. You don't hear that. You hear wealthy people. The lowest paid people are doing the best. And he needs to, and the Republicans also need to hammer that point home that this was after decades of stagnation where the middle class and the lowest paid workers continually lost ground. And finally, uh, Trump has illustrated through his deregulation and tax policies that the best social program by far is a job. The truth is people don't want to be on the government dole. They want meaning and and texture to their life, and that is brought about in dignity, and that is brought about by actually having a job and earning um, a, a good wage and having opportunities to advance. And that's what Trump has uh, and these economic policies have uh, made possible. People are working now that at any time in the history of our country, 160 million almost, almost And unemployment has reached the lowest rate in 51 years. Think of that one. I mean, when you're on a stage debating, you know, when I did this the first time, 
I'm debating. I never debated like a professional. My life is a debate. You know, my life is a debate. But I'm debating all of these people that I never saw before. We never left such things. But I had to say we were going to do things. But we hadn't done it. Now it's going to be so much easier because now I can say we did all these things that I said and we did more. A commentator who's a Trumpeter said recently whether you like him or not, he's actually done more things than he promised. It's true. We've done more things than we promised. Many more. Like this one. African-American unemployment. Hispanic-American unemployment. Asian-American unemployment, and you know this because you've heard me say it and other people say it, and veteran unemployment, that's a great one, have all reached the lowest rates ever recorded in the history of our country. I mean, how do you beat that? When they talk about African-American and what they want to do, I say, well, I have not much to say except that we've just hit the absolute lowest unemployment rate for African-Americans in the history of our country. That's all I have to say. Goodbye, everybody. We won the debate, right? We won the debate. That's a mic drop moment, uh, as, as they say. But, uh, you know, I, I started to cut out that, uh, that part about the lowest uh, ever unemployment for uh, for minorities but uh but we've also got this new figure because i started to cut it because uh, it has been played so much i never get tired of hearing it myself because this is the way that you unite a country you have broad shared prosperity and finally trump has uh, revved the economy so much that everybody's being able to take part anybody that wants to can find a good job and uh, at rising wages, now the Democrats are trying desperately to tear this down through their open borders policies, but Trump is uh, fighting on that front as well. But the, the great thing that he mentioned right there is, uh, is that our veterans are being uh, employed in the greatest numbers in history. And that is, uh, you know, there ought to be a job for every returning veteran and finally, um, you know, we're, we've uh, enacted policies that makes that happen as well. And on the flip side, you know, Trump can uh, tout his accomplishments on the economy and skewer the prescriptions that are coming forward from the, uh, the Democrats that have gone so far in the direction of Bernie Sanders that they don't even try to hide the fact that they're socialist anymore. Easy. But don't underestimate the power of socialism to get above. It's what happens over a 10-year period when the country is destroyed, but they don't care about that. When they say we're going to give you free education, we're going to give you free health care, we're going to not have you pay your loans for college, we're going to give you free everything. Everything is free. It's very seductive to people. It's not going to be so easy like you think. Now, in 10 years, it's going to be easy when the country goes to hell. Because that's what happens. The country goes to hell. Happened many times. Look at Venezuela. I mean, this was the richest country in that whole heaven. I mean, outside of us, it was one of the richest countries in the world. And now they have no food. They have no electric. They have nothing. It's there, and that's socialism. But when you're standing up on a stage 
And the guy said, we're going to wipe out all costs for education. We're going to wipe out all health care. We're going to give you single payer. They don't say that you're going to wipe out 180 private plans that people love. But it's not as easy as people think. People think it's easy. It is easy in 10 years. It's not easy now. Because a lot of folks are going to say, hey, wait a minute, man. If I vote for Trump, I agree with you. This guy's giving me everything. Not that easy. So we have to work. We can never take it for granted. We have to explain how bad it really is. The siren song of socialism, you know, at any other time in our history, uh, the uh, that would be the kiss of death for the Democrats. But now they have an emerging new class that's been educated in our universities, state-subsidized cultural Marxist indoctrination, and they're, uh, they're old enough to vote now, and they're voting in huge numbers for socialism because they weren't well-educated. They weren't taught the history of the Soviet Union and uh, chi- uh, communist China where over 100 million people uh, were starved to death and murdered in order to implement these socialist uh, utopia, and where people have you know, uh, basically no freedom or had in the Soviet Union and still have, don't have in China, don't have uh, any freedom, don't have any prospects for economic success. And, um, and now we've got the... <laughs> The Democrats wanting to try the same failed experiment in the United States. All they have to do is look around them. But as Trump says, it's very seductive when you're telling people they can have free health care. When you're telling people they can have free education, uh, housing as a right and a guaranteed government job. If you are not educated on the disasters and the truth of all these matters, you might be tempted to go that way. And the Republicans are going to have to uh, become quite skilled at making sure that uh, people are warned off for the disaster that the Democrats have in, in store for them. This next clip I've got is a little bit of a long one, but uh, he's talking about trying to work in a bipartisan way with the Democrats on infrastructure. And then, uh, and then he talks about uh, the disaster on the border that the, that the Democrats are determined to perpetuate new democrat majority in the house to work with us to rebuild our crumbling infrastructure and i think we're going to have something maybe we could do a bipartisan then bring down the cost of health care and bring down the cost of prescription drugs bring down the cost thank you i love that you're clapping for that because we have to talk quickly about it to have this power in this room how often do you get that And we are going to finally secure our nation's borders. It's happening right now. And I said to Mexico last week, you know, they have the strongest immigration laws in the world. They don't have judges. Somebody gets on their land, they say, get out of here. Now, somebody touches our land, we bring them into court. You need Perry Mason to represent them. They're here for years. They never come back from the trial. They say, let's bring them into court. We'll bring them in. We just stepped in our property. Bring them in. Be gentle. Bring them into court. And it's called catch and release. It may be the dumbest program in the history of the world. You catch them and you release them. Oh, they're wonderful. We've done a great job. And then you're going to come back, sir, in four years from now, January 14th. 
You're going to come back and we're going to give you a trial to see whether or not you can stay. But in the meantime, we're releasing you into our country. Now, only 2% come back to the trial. Okay? And those are not the smartest ones, to be honest. The ones that come back are not the smartest ones. The 98% are much smarter than the 2% that come back. It's terrible. But I said to Mexico, listen, you have the strongest immigration. They don't have courts. They don't have tax and release. They don't have chain migration. They don't have visa lottery, a lottery. You pick a lottery, oh, you're going to the United States. Congratulations, the country does this. Do you think they put their best people in those lotteries? What the hell were you people thinking when you were this? Now, the truth of the matter is, um, by any measure, Trump's efforts to secure the border have not been successful, and we've got to be honest about that. But it's not for lack of trying. This president has done everything in his power, including most recently declaring an emergency on the border to try to move this forward. He's been stymied by the courts, by the intransigent uh, Democrats in, in Congress. He even, he even offered to you know, deliver for, uh, for the Dreamers. But uh, the Democrats don't want to solve that issue. They want to keep it going so that they can use it. And, uh, and the, the Republicans are going to have to remind people that uh, it wasn't for lack of trying that we haven't been able to solve this issue. We're going to run out to a break. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Victor Davis Hansen to talk about his new book, The Case for Trump. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. When the weather outside is frightful, the Hyundai Santa Fe is, hmm, what's the word? Delightful. Because it's got available H-Track all-wheel drive to make being out together better. Enter for your chance to win the newly redesigned Santa Fe, packed with all the jingle bells and whistles you need to go dashing through the snow together. To enter, visit Amazon.com slash Hyundai or scan the QR code on specially marked red and green Amazon boxes. No purchase necessary. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Between prepping ingredients, setting the table, and planning your tomorrow, sometimes you need an extra hand with dinner. Delta Faucet is here to help. Just ask your connected home device to fill your pasta pot with Delta Faucet Voice IQ technology and fill it with the perfect amount of water. Done. Visit deltafaucet.com slash voice IQ to see how Voice IQ can fill your dog's bowl, wash your hands, and more. And you're back on Right Now with Jim Dawes. Your daily journal of news, politics, and culture from an America First perspective. Our nation's leading institutions in government, the courts, and the media have become increasingly incompetent and corrupt and even overtly hostile to our nation's traditions and history. This has left patriotic middle Americans to doubt our nation's future and struggle to understand how we got here and, and really wonder if we can indeed make America great again. Our guest today is Victor Davis Hansen. He's a professor emeritus at Cal State Fresno and senior fellow of the Hoover Institution. He's authored a new New York Times bestseller titled The Case for Trump. You can buy the book at Walmart, both online and in their stores. Uh, VDH, in my opinion, is our most articulate and insightful defender of Trump and the deplorables. And we're extremely honored to have him right now. Professor, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. 
Your book makes a very readable argument on why middle America shocked the world and seized on this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to elect a true outsider to the presidency. Uh, Speak to that, if you would. Yeah, I don't think people quite recognize what we did in 2016. We elected the first person without either military or political experience that was considered to have no chance of winning the nomination, and if he did, less chance of defeating uh, all of the money and resources of Hillary Clinton, and even less chance of governing effectively, and yet after two years, he's done all three of those. And that is by itself almost a referendum, not just on conventional wisdom, but maybe on the establishment itself, which was not able to obtain 3% GDP in over 10 years or wasn't able to translate strategic uh, tactical victory in Afghanistan or Iraq or Syria or Libya and their strategic advantage or just more or less told us to get used to China taking over the world and that free trade was sacrosanct, even if it wasn't fair. And it kind of written off the interior of the country. And then this guy came in and said, that's establishment quackery. That's not true. We can, our fate's in our hands. And that was very appealing to people, especially where the election was going to be decided in Pennsylvania, Michigan, Ohio, Wisconsin, Iowa, North Carolina. Well, you know, I'm sort of uh, from uh, that class of people that uh, came to be known as the deplorables. And I remember in the run-up to the election, uh, the circles that I ran in um, never bought into the uh, the notion that uh, Hillary Clinton was going to, you know, just trounce Donald Trump and that he didn't stand a chance. And we weren't that surprised when he won. Did, do you think that they were just deceiving us with her invincibility or if they actually believed that? No, they did believe it. And remember, on the night of the election, the New York Times quoted uh, a variety of analytics and polls across the political spectrum that said he had less than a 10% chance of winning that night. And what saved me is that although I work at the Hoover Institution, I'm around intellectuals and academics. I live on a farm where I'm speaking today out in the San Joaquin Valley. And I noticed things in blue California that is in the red interior of that state. I saw people that I that had no business voting for Trump. I mean, they were Hispanics. They were middle-class housewives. They were, uh, you name it. They weren't just all uh, working-class white disaffected, and they were going to vote for Trump. And I thought to myself, if a third of these people, that nobody, what's going to happen if people like them in key states, whether it's, you know, Wisconsin or Michigan, where it's going to be decided. And then I spent, I teach at Hillsdale College every September, and I noticed that of the three elections I had seen there, uh, the, the 2004, 8, and 12, I had never seen a response of rural Michigan people like that. Uh, you know, you could see bumper stickers, signs. And then when I would report back to people at Stanford who were more uh, qualified as pollsters, very sophisticated pollsters, I might add. I said, something's going on here. The rallies are huge. They're enthusiastic. He's getting stronger. Hillary's getting weaker. Anything that doesn't kill him makes him stronger. They kind of patted me on the head. So I thought he could win. I really did. But you're right. I think most people really believe genuinely that he had no chance. And that helped him because, remember, she went down to Georgia and Arizona to, to run up the tally, she thought and get a mandate while he was like a fox in the hen house poaching uh, these blue states of the Midwest. 
You know, I see a lot of parallels between you and Trump. You're both accomplished and successful. Uh, he obviously in business and you uh, in academia, but you both sort of come from that muscular uh, tradition of work uh, that you speak about. Uh, he in the construction well, field and you in agriculture, and you've both swam against the tide of of the um, uh, the cultural and coastal elites. That can't not have made yeah, I, life easy for you either. Uh, well, you know, it didn't in academia. I mean, I've lost a lot of friends, a lot of people that I knew very well in the East Coast, especially, and you know, people at National Review, Commentary Magazine, or all of the Never Trumpers I knew well. A lot of my colleagues at Stanford, but it had no effect on where I live and the people that I know and like here in the San Joaquin Valley. And they're very practical people. I grew up with them. So I don't know how to put it, but they didn't, I don't want to sound cynical or crude, but the academic world doesn't really have anything I want. I mean, I like, I believe in, you know, university instruction and research and all that stuff, but on a day-to-day basis, it really doesn't, I don't really care all that much if somebody in the New York Times doesn't like what I wrote or, some scholar says that I've sold out to Trump or somebody in the Bill Crystal group calls me a Nazi. I mean, I get angry. I reply to it. But in the day-to-day life, I don't, I mean, we don't, my wife and I, we, we don't have friends in cocktail circuit. We just go to the local diner and we have people who are farming. We, most of our friends are probably Mexican-American that grew up with me. So it, it, they had nothing I wanted to be quite blunt about it. Well, if uh, Bill Crystal's not saying bad things about you, you know you're doing something wrong. But, um, <laughs> you know, I understand. There's a logic to that. I, yeah, oh, no I doubt. I understand why uh, the ruling elites despise Trump. You know, he, he sort of betrayed them. Uh, he provokes them by skewering their sacred cows. Uh, but how did they so come to despise middle America? They seem to be, you know, uh, from Hillary Clinton's deplorables content, which uh, middle America wears as a badge of honor now. Uh, but there's been sort of a, a, a war on uh, middle America and our histories and traditions that seems to have escaped uh, from the campuses. Yeah. You know, that, that's a large part of the book and it wasn't just the deplorables predated that. You remember it was, my gosh, it was Peter Strzok saying that Walmart stunk in his text to Lisa page. It was, uh, Obama with the clingers. It was John McCain with the crazies. And I think it, it was two reasons. One was they really felt that globalization had hollowed out and it had to lot the industrial manufacturing sector. And then they confused cause and effect. And they thought, well, because these people are not doing well, they either deserve their fate or they're not doing well because it's their own fault. And the idea that Chinese asymmetrical trade or with Asia or Europe, Europe was not symmetrical. They just didn't buy into it, but they blamed the victims, so to speak. And then second, like, as you allude to, they, they don't, they've never been to Bakersfield. They've never been to Youngstown. They don't know people in this area of the Midwest. They, they're granite counters, they're wood floors, they're arugula, they're table grates, they're wine. They don't know the people who produce that or truck it into the cities. And they have to kind of a benign contempt for them. And so then they bought into this change. Well, I don't know. I don't know if it's benign contempt or not, uh, Professor. I heard one of the um, luminaries in the never Trump world uh, ridicule 
deplorables for having bad teeth, and he seemed totally unaware. Yeah, no, they didn't. That well, it was Mr. Caputo at CNN. You're absolutely right. He's, he was at a rally, and he pointed to a person, said that person has more teeth than everybody. I don't mean benign in, the, in their intent. You're absolutely right. There's a viciousness about the intent. But what I meant was I don't think it has uh, – it doesn't have a great effect. And we've learned that for all – take the example of the never-Trumpers. For all that vitriol – Trump got the same percentage of Republican voters as did McCain and Romney. So what I meant by benign is that it wasn't able to hurt Trump. And maybe with the independent voter, maybe not. It doesn't mean that they weren't, they didn't intend to hurt him, but they really showed the country they're pretty irrelevant. And this demography of destiny that Obama pushed and Hillary did, that were identity politics and were uh, tribal and the way we look superficially is who we are, not the content of our character. And the white middle class is doomed. You know, when you, you read all this white privilege, white privilege, then you look at the actual demographics, it's still a 70% white country. And if you're going to demonize the 70% majority, you've got to figure a way out to win. And Hillary inherited all of the downside from Obama, the, uh, you know, alienating the so-called clingers that she rebranded the deplorables, but she didn't inherit the upside because she was not able to get the minority vote to resonate to her in a way that another minority did, Obama. And so that's a Democrat's dilemma right now. How do we either restore some of the working white class, and I don't think this current agenda is going to do it, or how do we get record minority turnout and solidarity to vote for people like Joe Biden or Bernie Sanders or Beto who are leading currently in the polls. Meanwhile, Trump is like a fox. He's in their hen house and he's poaching Hispanic voters. He's poaching black voters. He's poaching Midwestern voters. And uh, I don't get where they think now they're going to defeat Trump in 2020 since they haven't learned anything. Well, they seem to think they can just uh, uh, buy the votes with promises, empty promises. I think most people would recognize, um, you know, for socialism and free stuff. But I, I do want to touch on one thing. Uh, you know, this whole idea of deplorables. I wrote an article uh, for American Thinker that uh, was titled "Deplorable Just Unjustly uh, Deplored," and Michael Caputo's comments was were just. Um, illustrative to me i I know some of these people that got bad teeth they don't have bad teeth because they want to it's because they're spending uh all their money you know trying to put a roof over their head and food on the table um with the meager uh wages that have been left by globalization and these people are so unaware of what their um coastal um prescriptions have done to the middle of the country um that they, they feel emboldened to just insult them and degrade them. These are these people no, are you're, you're the earth. Right. You're right. And even their diagnosis was wrong. When that came out, when I was sitting with an academic from Britain at Stanford. He had far worse teeth than anybody I've seen out here in the San Joaquin <laughs> Valley. And then when you have people like Melinda Byerly, a CEO who said that these were garbage people, their roads are full of ruts, their schools are bad. And she's writing from Palo Alto. And if anybody's ever driven in Menlo Park and Palo Alto city roads, they're terrible. And the, and the public schools are being abandoned by the left. They've all sent their kids to new prep schools. And so everything that she indicted, uh, middle America, and when I go to the Midwest, and I do it often, and I see these small communities, I know they're hurting economically, but the people are kind, they're generous, they, they take pride in their communities. 
when I go to California where I live, when I go to big cities, I, I don't, I see homeless people. I, I was in San Diego not long ago. There's signs warning about a tuberculosis outbreak. There was a typhus outbreak in Los Angeles. Uh, where I live, where I work at Stanford University, when I commute from my farm, uh, there's homeless people in Winnebago's who park along the Stanford campus. So I don't get the arrogance about their communities that they're so much more stable, and yet they have all the advantages that came in through globalization, yet culturally and sociologically and politically, they're pretty medieval. There's a wealthy class and then there's a, a subservient uh, class that cooks their food, mows their lawn, changes their kids' diapers, whereas in the mid Middle West, you see, a, even though it's under economic assault, it's oh. traditions of middle-class solidarity are much stronger. You mentioned the Middle Ages there. You're a, a professor of the classics, uh, a doctor. Um, I I see certain parallels between uh, where we are now and um, the Dark Ages after the fall of Rome. Um, these uh, seem to be, the current Dark Ages seem to be based on leftist pathologies, uh, you know, that are designed to deny reality and send us into some sort of alternate universe. Do you see parallels between um, uh, today and the Dark Ages, and can we hope for a renaissance? Yeah, I do, because uh, we're not emphasizing learning. There's this ideology. In the Dark Age, it was the collapse of civilization, and we're seeing that as well. But when you don't have a middle class and you have this very wealthy global elite, and then you have a subsidized poor, and then... The middle class is ridiculed for not having the romance of the poor, but it doesn't have the quote-unquote culture of the wealthy, so it's demonized and it's under assault. And they're usually the stewardship stewards of you know local schools, hospitals, PTA, Little League. And when you wipe them out or you try to wipe them out, then you get into a two-society, dark-age society. And, and then when people don't believe in learning anymore. So if you go to a university, the catalogs today are ethnic studies, peace studies, environmental studies, black studies, women's studies, but they're not, you know, the civil war or they're not Kant or they're not civics, uh, Spanish literature. They're not how to, you know, civics or they're not forensics and speaking. And the result is we're turning out these Alexandria, you know, Ocasio-Cortez like honor students that really don't know anything about history. And they're just ideological, and they just they're arrogant, but they're ignorant. And it, it's starting to filter through the society, as you know, when you get on an airliner or you get on a train or you go to the local Department of Motor Vehicles, you get the impression that the sophisticated society doesn't have enough competent people to run it anymore. And I, it and seems it's like scary. it's getting worse and worse. It's hard to believe, uh, listening to her, that... Uh uh, Alexandria Cor- uh, Cortez has a economics degree from Boston University. It seems like that uh, that institution ought to hang its head in shame. In the short time yeah, we have you're left, right. in the short time we have left, um, I, I know uh, you grew up in the Central Valley there in California, and you continue to work the family farm. Uh, I was out in California in the eighties, and um, you know. In that time, the Golden State truly was the Golden State. Uh, had free college tuition. Uh, jobs were plentiful. Uh, the place was clean. There was very little in the way of homelessness, or you know, and crime was under control. Uh, has the 
decline of the golden state that you grew up in shaped your worldview? And do you see it as a cautionary tale for the rest of America? I do, because it, it was caused really by a, the global wealth that poured into Hollywood finance and especially Facebook, Apple, Google, you know, to, and what it made, we, we created a class, and that's where all the universities are, Caltech, UCLA, Stanford, USC, Berkeley. They created an elite that was never subject to the ramifications of their own ideology because they had so, such wealth. So 27% of our state were not born in the United States, and we have the highest uh, poverty rate of all the states. We have the highest gas taxes, highest income taxes, highest power costs. And what you're seeing is that a lot of people had all of these utopian ideas that they either had so much wealth to, uh, to get around them or to, even if they had to pay all of these taxes and astronomical uh, housing costs, they didn't really care because they were so wealthy. But it just, it just hollowed out the middle class. We had 4 million people leave. And then they thought that was great because they didn't like them. And they brought in people from Asia and Mexico, many of them illegally. And the idea was, well, these people can serve us. They can cut our lawns, be our nannies. And then we're going to patronize them and say we're for open borders. But our own kids are going to go to these new prep schools along the California Coastal Corridor. And we're going to have, we don't want walls on the border, but we're going to have walls. We want to cut off water to farming, but not from Hetchetchee for domestic water for San Francisco. So that's what the, I think we have to remember that about socials. They're usually very wealthy people and it's about power and they never expect to have to suffer along with the people who's, uh, who's the result of their own policies. They have ways of getting around and they're very arrogant and they just, they always hate the middle class. And that's I, what California is. It's a war in the middle class. I noticed that your new governor, Gavin Newsom is uh, planning a trip to El Salvador to try to address the refugee crisis where people are fleeing that failed state uh, from gang violence and government corruption. And I, I wondered why is he going to El Salvador for that? Because the middle class refugees are fleeing California in droves because of gang violence and government corruption. Gang violence and government corruption is absolutely right. The California DMV is just admitted that uh, people were buying appointments and then selling, they were selling appointments for people because you can't get in there unless you have an appointment. And they were, those were on a market being sold. The DMV chief admitted that the illegal alien ballots were mixed with legal residents uh, for motor voter registration. And, you know, we have this $100 billion fiasco called high speed rail that's been canceled for the most part. And you just, it just goes on and on and on. And we had a vote harvesting that, that really took seven congressional seats from Republicans who had won on election day. And so the whole, the whole state's uh, rationale is that we are so moral and we're so committed to social justice and equality result, the means necessary to that end are, are justified, even if they're illegal or unethical. And that's the state. I mean, it, it's a beautiful state. It's one of the most beautiful place to grow up on that fifth generation and I'm speaking from my, the same house that my great-great-grandmother built in 1870. And to see the state unwind, it's, it's tragic. It makes you want to fight, but it also makes you want to leave. It's, it's schizophrenic, the, the reaction to it. It truly is uh, tragic. The light out in California and the geography is just fabulous. And uh, it's a shame that, um, uh, that it's fallen into the hands of um, what appears to be, to me at least, cultural Marxists. Dr. Hansen, 
Go ahead, sir. No, go ahead. Thank you for having me on today. I appreciate it. No, I, I very much appreciate your time. Victor Davis Hansen is author of the New York Times bestseller, The Case for Trump. You can get the book at walmart.com or in the stores. And this is really a must read for any thoughtful Trump supporter. Professor Hansen, thank you again so much for, for being with us and for this book. And I hope you'll come back and join us on right now. Yeah, I will. Thank you for having me. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Well, that was a great honor to have Victor Davis Hansen on the show. And um, as I said, I think he is probably the most insightful and thoughtful of um, of the writers today on how Donald Trump rose to be this black swan president and um, a, a real redeemer of the, deplor- the deplorables that so much of the elites and academia seem to uh, hold in contempt. Well, I want to get back now to our um, excerpts from Donald Trump's speech before the National Republican Congressional Campaign Committee, NRCCC, is it? Um, he really uh, had a stem winder, sort of a tour de force of the themes and issues he means to hit in the coming 2020 election. So while um, the left-wing cable outlets have been giving you know free campaign commercials in the form of town halls to uh, to the Democrat candidates, uh, President Trump has been, as he is uh, known to do, taking his case uh, to the people. He had this uh, this great rally in Grand Rapids. He is showing no sign of flagging in his energy and is, in fact, becoming even more accomplished on the campaign trail. And uh, in these excerpts that I'm playing for you, he was addressing um, House of uh, Representatives and getting ready for the 2020 elections and uh, exhorting them uh, to retake the House and telling them how to go about doing it. So our first uh, clip uh, as we take this topic back up, it's going to be Trump on the Green New Deal and uh, and its uh, main champion, of course, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Nearly 100 House Democrats are promoting the biggest socialist takeover in U.S. history. That's what's happening. The Green New Deal will cost $100 trillion. Nobody has any idea what that means, $100 trillion. I have wealthy friends who say, right out of $1 trillion, dollars. I have no idea. Just keep going. Nobody has any idea. The Democrats are also proposing a massive government takeover of health care that would ban private health insurance. And that's a tremendous thing for us to run. Because people want, we have 180 million people that want that. The Democratic plan would destroy American health care, bankrupt our country. Oh, forget it. Not even close. And take away your private doctors. Now, I'm only afraid that we're going to be too hard on the Green New Deal. And they're not going to do it because I want them to do it. We don't want to have them knock it out before we get to run against it. So let's take it easy. I'm, I'm actually saying it's a wonderful thing. The Green New Deal, done by a young bartender, 29 years old. A young bartender, wonderful young woman. The Green New Deal. You know what? It's crazy. You know, the first time I heard it, I said, that's the craziest thing. You have senators that are professionals. 
that you guys know, that have been there for a long time, white hair, everything perfect. And they're standing behind her and they're shaking, they're petrified of her. We support the Green New Deal. How about the woman from Hawaii, the senator from Hawaii? Highly nice woman. Crazy Maisie. I'm going to get great points from my wife for that saying. But she was so angry to men, right? Remember she was screaming at men. And, and then they asked her about the Green New Deal. I love it. They said, yeah, but you don't allow airplanes anymore, so you can't get them away. Oh, we have to work on something. So somebody jokingly said, we'll build a train to Hawaii. And she actually thought it was a decent idea. So now she supports it because she thinks they're going to build a train to Hawaii. But they really believe this stuff. And you know, it's like, it's the craziest thing. They believe it. And we will have to do something. But don't do it too early. Please don't kill it. Because we want to be able to run against it. If they beat me with the Green New Deal, I deserve to lose. <laughs> oh, my God. And, you know, I wish he had touched on the fact that uh, Mitch McConnell brought it up for a vote in the Senate, and they all ran and hid under their desk and just voted present. Gave an actual opportunity to put their vote where their mouth is, and they all uh, chickened out. So well, we're running out of time. I'm trying to figure out which is the best uh, clip to beat uh, to leave you with. I guess I will uh, just play you a little bit of his closing. We're now the party of the American family party of the American dream. It's true. You are. In South Carolina, when I was going against a lot of different people, there were 12 people left. And I'll never forget, somebody came down and said, you have no idea what you've done. Thousands and tens of thousands of people are joining the Republican Party. It's never happened. They've never seen it before. And this happened in New Hampshire. It happened all over. It happens in Florida. It's happening now in Florida. I mean, I don't like to talk about leads too early, but we have an incredible lead in the state of Florida. We have an incredible lead in the state of Ohio. We have a great lead in Pennsylvania, in North Carolina, in South Carolina. I mean, we have leads. The party of the American dream. I love that. I hope uh, he keeps up with it. Um... Really, the Democrats are doing everything they can to tear themselves apart. Um, of course, they're going after Biden. I'm, I, I think that uh, whole thing has sort of gotten out of hand. It seems like his, uh, his most passionate defenders are actually um, Tucker Carlson and, uh, and people on Fox News. I actually heard um, uh, one of his guests last night, um, Heather McDonald, uh, defending him, and I thought, well, why are we doing them any favors? But anyway, this is going to be a, a great campaign. It's kind of a shame that it's starting so early, but I guess that's the world we live in now. And Trump is absolutely right. If the Republicans will just stand and fight, stop being ashamed of their convictions, um, speak them loudly and proudly, and get to the bottom of uh, this, these voter irregularities. I think it's all shaping up very well. Well, thank you for joining us for another edition of America First Radio. Come back and join us again tomorrow on the Mojo 5.0 Radio Network on iHeartRadio. As you make plans this season, consider convenient COVID-19 testing from Quest. Get the same test hospitals use without a doctor visit. 
Simply order online, select from drive through or at-home options, and get the results sent securely to your phone or computer. It's a great fit for your busy life. With over 20 million COVID-19 tests processed, you can count on Quest. So order your test today at questcovid19.com. That's questcovid19.com. When the weather outside is frightful, the Hyundai Santa Fe is, hmm, what's the word? Delightful. Because it's got available H-Track all-wheel drive to make being out together better. Enter for your chance to win the newly redesigned Santa Fe, packed with all the jingle bells and whistles you need to go dashing through the snow together. To enter, visit Amazon.com slash Hyundai or scan the QR code on specially marked red and green Amazon boxes. No purchase necessary. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details.